This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This week, the Clarets face the Palace side at home on the hunt for their first win of the season. This is the Non and Ever podcast. Hello and welcome to the Non and Ever podcast. I'm your host Natalie Bromley and joining me this week from the No No the None Never team, the No 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 Never team is Tom and Richard. And we are here to celebrate a win. Tom, Richard, welcome to the show. It's a happy place. God, I forgot what it was like to win. I looked it up like, <laughs> like this morning. Like, yeah, it's like been four months since we've won a league game. Unbelievable. And not just winning a game, there, Richard, but actually scoring a goal as well. It was like amazing. Yeah, so early on, it was kind of like I didn't know what to do with myself. I didn't know whether to celebrate <laughs> what about. I was didn't know whether just to stand still in case Wood was offside. But no, uh, yeah, really, really happy. Great to get. Hopefully the season up and winning, but a big relief too. Yeah, definitely. Um, Tom, I was I felt really confident when Dave and I did the, the preview show last week. It, it kind of felt like, well, it just felt different to me. Did this Palace game? It felt like the opening sort of four or five games of the season felt a little bit abstract. I didn't feel particularly engaged with the side. I wasn't really paying an awful lot of attention to what was going on. It was all very doom and gloom because we just didn't look ourselves. We couldn't go to the ground. And obviously we thought by the start of the season we'd be able to get in there again. Um but you know that it kind of hit the point where players were starting to come back. Everybody started to sort of get find their feet again. Dyche was talking sense again. This whole arguments about Dyche and Garlic fight, fighting out had gone off the press. The takeover talk had died down, and I felt really confident. Um, especially, I think when I saw that starting lineup, did you get that same sense on Monday that this was actually the real start of our season? I have to say, before I saw the starting lineups. I wasn't that confident, to be honest, because uh, Palace have got a good record, especially at Turf Moor. I think we've only uh, beat them the once before when Hodgson's been manager, that, albeit that was in the, the lockdown kind of scenario as well. Uh, but yeah, the way we were playing, I mean, I could see maybe another grinding out another draw like we had at Brighton, then me being back does make a big difference. But I wasn't that confident because of our record against Palace. But when I, I was sat at work at my desk at half four, refreshing, waiting to get the team up. Uh, and yeah, as soon as I saw... Uh, no Zahar and no Barnes, I was like, oh, we might have a chance. I was well excited. Um, obviously, it's uh, not not the ideal circumstances for, 
for Zahar being out. Hopefully, he's, uh, well, Hodgson said he was well enough, didn't he? So, touch what he's, he makes a quick recovery. But it was very kind of him to, uh, to have contracted the virus at this precise moment if he was going to do it. And then I think everyone um, has been crying out for, for Barnes to be dropped for a little while now. He's not looked himself. He's, not, he's obviously not back to fitness and match sharpness yet. If he'd have had a pre-season, then obviously probably look a different player, but we can't really afford to be letting him catch up to fitness and, and sharpness in these crucial games when we need to pick something up. So to see him on the bench and see Rodriguez back in the team was a, a big relief as well. So, yeah, same as you. When the lineups came out, then I really did think we might have a chance here tonight. Yeah, definitely, and I, and I completely echo your thoughts. And, and it goes without saying that that Zahar, we do we feel really sorry that you've caught the the virus, and we really hope that you a not particularly poorly with it, and b get well soon. But we're so grateful that the timing came the way it was. And, and you know, thanks very much. Um, <laughs> Richard, there's a couple of things that, that Tom mentioned that I want to pick up on. Uh, namely, uh, well, let's start with, uh, I guess, Jay coming into to the starting line out. And, and it does feel really harsh on Ashley Barnes because Ashley Barnes will always be part of Burnley folklore and he will always be an absolute hero to us. But it just does feel, and I don't know whether or not this is as a result of his lengthy time out of the the, the first team or whether it's just the changing dynamics of the Premier League but it just doesn't feel like he's having the same impact that he once had and and Tom's right we were all screaming out for Jay yeah just reiterate the point you both made you both made once I've seen the starting 11s of both teams with you know with the makeup of our team and having Goodmanson fit and seeing Zaha was out that immediately give me more confidence I think the frustrating thing is it's I, I don't want to focus too much on Barnes because I think we've said so much, you know, about about him. But for me, Rodriguez, I'd say that you know the second half of last season when we went on that good run was arguably our best player. I don't know if there's been fitness issues, etc. But it's been absolutely baffling that he's not been in the starting eleven when he's been playing so well. Um, and then when you see him come on last night, I thought. Uh, start last night I thought he was absolutely fantastic for us um, you know was a threat throughout worked hard and even in the second half he did his defensive duties what he does so well and what we've been missing is that link between midfield and attack he drops mm. in those pockets he's, he's technically good enough to get the ball off the midfielders and I think he, he just really gives us that threat in the final third so yeah really good to have him back obviously you know Barnes is Barnes isn't he he is what he is but for me, when you've got somebody of the quality and the calibre of Rodriguez, you know, he should be starting week in, week out. For me, overall, he's our, he's our best striker. Yeah, he is. Do, do you think, Rich, and I think when you were talking then about reasons why Rodriguez hasn't been in the side, and you don't know whether it was fitness or whatever it was, and I, and I caveat this by saying that this is this is obviously not a, a massive dig at Dash. We all, we all love him, and of course we do. But I've, I've felt quite a few times that when... When up against it or when things aren't quite going his way, Dash has a tendency to revert back to his safety zone of what he knows he can do well. Now, this isn't necessarily a criticism, guys. This isn't necessarily a bad thing. But there's been so many times over his tenure where um, we've been on a losing streak or players have been injured or he hasn't quite been able to get the better of his opposition manager. And he tends to, to fall back a type. And that's that very defensive, resilient play, you know, doesn't want to really commit players forward, doesn't necessarily play his, his attack in flair players um, and it felt to me because of the start we'd had and because you know the, all of the players that we had out that he reverted to Barnes because that's what he knew well do you think that's fair I, I mean I don't know if I'm being really mean to him by saying that but that's how it's felt to me 
I, I was saying to my dad before, you know, before the game, I think that's Dyche, in a way, his stubbornness is, his, is a big strength and a big weakness of him, if that kind of makes sense. I think, obviously, he's got a clear plan. He sticks to his guns, which is obviously beneficial in a lot of situations. But as long as Rodriguez was fit, I'd say after that Newcastle game away where he was terrible, we were just crying out for Rodriguez up front. And, you know, you look at games like, you know, maybe West Brom, Tottenham, Brighton, where he was in the game. If we had Rodriguez on from the start, would have it made a difference to get that goal? So I fully agree with what you say, Natalie. You know, I think Dyke sometimes is too strict. I think he can be too rigid at times, even with the you know with the formations and the and the team selections. But listen, credits where it's due. Obviously, Goodmanson was fit, and if he's fit, he's an automatic pick. But credit to him, he, he could have carried on being stubborn just to make a point. But Rodriguez come back in and you know all the better for it because we do look a much better side yeah we definitely do um Tom the other the other key player I'm going to come on to Brady and Gunmanson in a minute because we, we've talked to death on the podcast about the, the winger I'm going to put in brackets problem um but the the main change in the this last couple of games that we've we've missed in the early start is of course the return to Ben the return of Ben Me. um we just look a completely different side when he's in that defence. And it's just, I don't know what it is. It just brings a stability to that defence. And I'm I'm at this point now for all of of Tarkovsky's flair and how amazing defender is, and he will rightly at some point go go to a, a, hesitant to say this, bigger club than us. But for me, Ben Mee is rapidly turning into the most important player in our defence. Yeah, a bigger club than us or West Ham, one of the two. (laughs) (laughs) yeah true yeah I think um, Ben me the word that sprang to mind when you were talking there it was uh, one of Daesh's favourites automaticity I'm not going to do it in the voice oh god yeah Yeah. he just slots in like clockwork he's been doing it you know so so many years now he knows exactly what his job is he's brave he puts himself on the line he doesn't faff about he doesn't take silly risks He's just a perfect player for our system, exactly what we need. And he, he makes the players around him better. I don't think it's a coincidence myself that I thought Taylor had a bit of a shaky start to the season. And I think he's had his best two games since me was back. So it's not just Tarkovsky alongside him that he makes better. I think he makes Taylor on his other side better as well. Yeah, um, I agree. Yeah. So, yeah, it can't be, can't be understated how crucial he is. And he's one of them players, you know, he, you get the odd last-ditch block, the odd, uh, you know, spectacular tackle. But a lot of the work that he does, it's the kind of work that you don't notice. It's uh, like Joni Mitchell said, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. You know, he's uh, we look, the team just looks a lot better with him in there. And Long's got his individual qualities and Dunn's got his individual qualities. But obviously, they haven't played nearly enough in the system and they haven't perhaps got that, that level of ability and leadership that Mee's got. So, yeah, it makes a massive difference to have him. And for a team like us who prides ourselves on clean sheets and grinding out one nils where we don't have a lot of goals, that's going to be crucial in a lot more games this season, I think. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, and I think as well, it, it's just I think there's a there's a spine in this in the in the team that really works for me when Ben Mee's in the side, and and there's sort of like the, there's Ben Mee in, in in the back, there's Ashley Westwood in the middle, or, you know, sometimes Jack Cork as well, but certainly Ashley Westwood, and then Chris Wood up front. There are three very strong players, very 
physically dominant players and people who will who don't tend to make that many mistakes. I know we'll have at times because Ben Mee does have a howler in him every now and again. But generally speaking, I think when that core spine is in the side, every, there's just a stability there um, that, that it perhaps is missing. And, and I couldn't agree more about Charlie Taylor, actually. I think t- you forget sometimes that Charlie Taylor is still young. And I, Tom, it reminds me you who mentioned this in a previous podcast, actually, that he is still what we call the, the junior, the baby out of the defence. Um, and he did look a little bit exposed. And, and I think under Ben Mee's guidance, he, he definitely looks a more solid player. Um, and we may as well, while we're talking about defence, let's let's stick with this before we go on to, to the wingers. Um, Richard, two words, Nicholas of Pope. Actually, that's three. But Nick Pope, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yeah, it was fantastic last night. Um, I've... <laughs> I think he, he's had little shaky moments, I think, this season where he's maybe not been quite at his best. But last night, he was absolutely superb. Um, that save he made in the last minute was kind of... I was just... You know, my me, me heart sank for a split second. I thought he was just going to get pol- poked into the back of the net. And, you know, very brave. Spread himself really well. Um, you know, and even the save he made from... Um, I think it was Bishwai when McNeil played a lovely through ball to him. Um was you know was excellent and he didn't actually have that much to do second half as as you're referring to before I think with me back in the attack he was played well I think he didn't really have that many saves to make but when he was called upon twice in in big moments um you know he, he produced and other than his kicking which uh which which at times is still baffling you know he, he, he has a tendency to slice a few in the air or across the ground I think as an out and out goalkeeper he's by far the best English goalkeeper and yeah, you know, he definitely come to our rescue last night. Yeah, we did. That hilariously, that um that that beautiful through ball that McNeil did. Honestly, I think I think it took me Richard about ten minutes to just move away from just staring at that. I think there was a there was a period, wasn't there, where there was I think it was within about ten minutes that McNeil passed that, that through ball through um that Pope had to save us. Then Good Munson hit the bar and just missed what should have been an absolute second goal. And I think for about 10 minutes, I was just stunned, staring at the screen, just not able to pick up my phone and not even be able to do anything. It was, uh, I've got to say, Rich, I think I think both of those two gave us pretty bad heart failure. Which one of the two do you think was worse? Um, McNeil's through ball or Goodmanson's miss? <laughs> oh, McNeil's through ball. He just passed it straight to <laughs> Well, at least, you know, Goodmanson should have scored, but, you know, he hit the bar and he, sent the keeper the wrong way but I don't know what McNeil was doing I was similar to you I was just like I was just in shock a little bit I was just like what has he actually done there and it's kind of you know I, I like McNeil trying to get on the you know in, in the central midfield get on the ball a little bit more but yeah oh, imagine if that would have cost us the game yesterday it would have oh been an absolute sick but yeah you it know I, yeah yeah it was it was really bad as well and I just it's one of those where he, I mean he hit it you know, it wasn't like a, a weak hit. It, it hit it with enough power and enough sort of like um, depth on it that it just, you know, it stayed low and it went where it was supposed to go. But to be about 30 yards away from goal and think that Pope was the man to pass you there when there was so many other Burnley defenders in front of him and there were so many Palace players you know, trying to, to poach a, a loose ball. I just thought it was um, a rush of blood to the head, I think we're going to put it to. Um, and I think it's, sometimes it's a hangover and, and it does bother me sometimes that too often in our side, our default position is to find a, a, a ball back to pass it. 
find a pass back to Pope, um, which does bother me a little bit because I think we could be much more positive than we are sometimes. I get frustrated when we try to, let's say we try to take it down the left-hand side and we try and put a cross in and, and we get blocked off our, de- our defenders and our, our option is to go all the way back to Pope and try again on the right-hand side. I think it's it's so easily manipulated and so easily telegraphed by um, opposition players, but um, that's one from the day. Um, Tom, our wingers. We had Goodmanson, who got taken off by Brady, which we presume to protect him. Obviously, he's only just coming back from a few niggles. And then we had Brady, who came on and then went back off again injured. We, we must have said this a hundred times, but man alive, we have injury problems with those two. Yeah, I don't know if Johan was just a precautionary thing or something. I, I know that he had a bit of a niggle, so maybe it's just a thing of like, he's, he, he'd do an hour and then we'll bring him off. But Brady looks like he's going to be out for a while, doesn't it? And you know, I'm a big uh, a big Brady fan, but it is starting to get to the point now where it's like, well, if you can't get any minutes out of him whatsoever, then what, what is the point of keeping him around? I mean, I think he's got one year, hasn't he? It, it might have been better to have sent him out on loan somewhere for two or three months, just where he could play every week and, and get some minutes into his legs. I don't think playing 20 minutes here and there really helps him build up any kind of basic fitness either, to be fair. And I don't think the fact that he's um, playing for his country necessarily helps either in the break. Um, but yeah, it's, it's such a shame. And it's like the, the less the one you could understand a bit because it was like an elbow in the ribs. And that's something that if you've got a cracked rib, it's just a, a contact thing. But little muscle strains and, and tears and hamstrings and things like that, that it's just just a recurring, a recurring problem. And I think it's, going back to McNeil as well I think it's putting more pressure than we need to on him not only having three wingers two of whom aren't you're not going to get 90 minutes out of every week you know I'd love to, us to have one game where we could play Brady and good Munson for 90 and let Dwight have a rest because I think part of the problem is he looks knackered like um, physically and maybe a little bit emotionally as well yeah. don't feel where his head was for that three ball like I say but uh, I think tiredness does play a part and he's sort of drifting about a bit more aimlessly um, I think that's something that um, obviously we're going to come on to the takeover later. Hopefully, if it does go through and we've, we've got a bit of money to spend in January, one or two wingers have got to be the priority positions yeah. for me, I think. No, Tom, you're absolutely right. And I think I, I snapped a little bit at my dad last night, which I felt instantly horrendously mean for. But my dad went into the default Burnley fan position last night. And, and don't get me wrong, he's not the only one. I see it on social media all the time where just people are just piling on Dwight and saying, like, I can't remember when he last had a good game and what's wrong with him, he's gone. And it's we are just putting a phenomenal amount of pressure on that poor lad's shoulders. He is knackered. He needs a rest like you wouldn't believe. And, and you're so right. I mean, you know, we had Lennon as cover, but we got rid of him in the summer as well. And, and, and irrespective of your views on, on Lennon's ability, it's just it's another body. It's somebody who can... Um, you know, just can just can give him a little bit of a break and, and take him off. And I think, as Burnley fans as well, we talked about this in our in our um, group text last night that he is also our pretty much only source of entertainment at the club as well. And there's so much pressure on his shoulders to not just do everything right and create all our chances, but also create them in an entertaining, exciting way as well. And, and the poor lad must just be um, just must just be done. Um, Tom, just very quickly before I move back on back onto Rich um, and pick up um, the final point on this, um, I, I think I'm pretty much in the stage now where I'm quite happy for Brady to go. I'm, I think he's done. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. It seems 
the thing is, you can't see him making a claim for that shirt. He's got a year left on his contract. I think if the, if he was going to stay on, if they kept him on as a backup, he's going to be on reduced wages. I think if I was him, I'd um, you know I'd uh, try my luck and, and see if I could get games elsewhere because I think that's really what he needs. I think he's never really had a run since he's come back. That's partly because he's not had the fitness, and it's partly because there's players who who are keeping them out. You know, McNeil's played better on the left hand side. That, you know than you know than he has when he's when he's had the opportunity. So yeah, I think uh, and as I say, I'm a big fan, so I'd, I'd be sad to see it. But I think it, it's the best thing for both parties probably if he if he does go at the end. Yeah, of the I will be really sad as well. I just think I think for him and Hendrick, they both came to us at the time in in record signings. We were branching into paying money for players that we'd never just you just never played paid before, um, and for for different reasons, it's never really worked out for both of them. But I, I remain. I'm a big fan of both of them, and I will be sad. I'm sad to see him go anyway, um, but I'm always sad when when Burnley players go, um, apart from Johar. Um, but it's just it is. It's just that sadness that for all the years he spent with us, it never really worked out for him. Um, Rich, sticking on the um, subject of McNeil very quickly before we move on, um, McNeil's become one of our corner takers quite a bit this season and um, I'm going to leave this one with you because you asked for this so you're going to have to own this but you have a bugbear about bad corners at the moment please explain to our listeners what you mean yeah it's a bit of a bugbear of mine at the moment and nobody else agrees with me really in our little uh, whatsapp group especially George um, but it seems like I can't remember the last time we scored from actually a direct corner where the ball's come in and we've won an header and we've scored from it um, to me, we just seem to, our corners are becoming so predictable. We just want to kind of put it on the keeper every time. Like, so sometimes the keeper's just coming out and catching it or punching it. And we've got like lads yesterday, like Wood, Rodriguez, me, Taki coming up for corners. And they've never got any chance to head the ball. And I don't think it's McNeil's and Westwood's fault. And I think it's obviously instructions from the manager. And obviously set pieces are such a big part of our game and, I know we scored directly from a free kick against Leicester with Dunn. Um, and like, and I think obviously Westwood kind of like scored from a ball that was recycled after a corner. But I think an, another key reason why we've not scored is because I think our corners and set pieces have been poor. Maybe it's just me looking, reading into something that's a non-issue too much. But it's just something I've just picked up from this season. Maybe Dave can come back on the stats for that. Again, yeah, maybe week. I'm ranting for nothing. I don't, I don't think you are. And actually, I'm glad you raised that because for me, it's not just the corner situation. Do you not think we can probably expand this, Rich, and kind of say that it's not just the corners that are becoming predictable? One of the challenges that we're facing as a side this season is that so much of our players become predictable. It doesn't take good coaches very long to watch us because we are consistent and we play the same every week. They've found a way to nullify any threat of ours or to counteract our defensive things and I think we are at a see this is the last if we survive this season this is absolutely the last season that we can play the way we are doing and expect to stay in this league oh yeah I think so um, and I think we have been predictable for a little while but I think you know if, if we do get our defence sorted which we look to have obviously it, it is a base to build but how many games have we won from set pieces I just it's you know it was a while ago now I remember when we beat Cardiff 2-0 at Turf Moor and Wood scored from a corner there and it was like a near post run and he flicked it on and 
I don't mind that corner straight at the keeper every now and again. But I think with our set pieces, it's so predictable time after time. Yeah. You know Westwood and McNeil's going to take it. You know it's going to be an in-swinger on the goalie. And I think after a while, you know, you just people learn how to defend it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just a... I think, obviously, we're, n- we're not going to create a lot of chances from open play. So I just think it's something that we just need to have a little look on. You know, maybe our set pieces and our corners to kind of... See if we can, you know, see, to see if we can become a little bit more of a threat from them. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think it's, I think it's definitely something. And I think even last season, we were being talked about by all the pundits as as Burnley being incredibly strong at set pieces, and nobody said that this season because we're just not. Um, Tom, I think very last point on on the game. Um, we got that early goal. We got hung on for a one nil. Um, it was a morale boosting performance. I think there were. I think the second half, there were some areas that we do need to carry on looking at. There were still some weaknesses that we need to address. And I think if we if we face that Palace side with Zahar in it, or if the other Palace um, players had found their shooting boots, it might have been a different story. So like, I'm not getting too carried away with the technical side of the win because I think we've still got things we need to improve on. But in terms of morale, that's a huge boost. Takes us out of the bottom three, puts us on five points in 17th, where, quite frankly, I would quite love to finish the end of this season. Um, what do we do now, Tom, to build on that? How do we how do we capitalise on that? Because, of course, we've got City next and that's potentially going to be a win and then another loss. But how do we, we capitalise on last night's performance? Yeah, it's tricky, isn't it? Because, excuse me, as I say, you City next, and then after that, it's uh, I think it's Everton and then Arsenal. So it's it's a run of sort of more difficult games, uh, and you wouldn't necessarily expect to win out of any of those. So I suppose the first thing to say is um, it's it's the, the confidence that we've got. Like you say, it's getting the points on the board. There's three teams below us who are really struggling to pick up wins as well. So any win that we get is going to be crucial, especially at this stage. The psychological boost of of actually getting a win on the board, getting clean sheets. Um, I think if we if we could have had some easier fixtures and put a bit of a run together, it would have it would have been probably enough to carry us away for a good long while. But um, I think just just the fact that we've got out of there, the fact that, that I think now we've we've got that solidity about us that that we didn't necessarily have at the start of the season. We were too easy to score against, especially in that Leicester game. But now you know we, we don't look like we're going to get hammered, especially not by the teams around us. If we go into places like Brighton and scraping points, if we can scrape a point at Arsenal or if we can get a point or three out of Everton, we'll not have done bad. Um, I think probably the, the main thing to to, to kind of uh, to, to think about at this stage is be happy that we got our three points. It was crucial. And just don't let the heads drop too much now if we, if we don't get the results in the next three games because they are difficult games and they're not going to define our season, I don't think. Nope, I agree. Uh, so in the meantime, we're going to very much enjoy that winning feeling, that scoring feeling, that Jay and Wood partnership feeling, that Ben Me at the helm feeling. And um, yeah, we're going to take it from there. Now, one of the things that I want to move on to next is um, something that the boys touched on earlier on, and that is the need for players um, and what we potentially will buy in January and how that is going to be affected by um, who owns the club in January. There has been um, an update on this today. The Telegraph have done an update. And for those who don't subscribe to um, the Telegraph's paywall, I'm just going to give you a very quick um, summary and, and they're reporting that ALK Capital, who are of course the Americans, um, they are um, moving closer to finalising a deal to buy 
Burnley. I thought that was a. T- I thought I genuinely thought that said Barnsley then, and I was about to go on an almighty rant, but I think it's just my eyesight. Um, amid optimism that a takeover by the American sports investment company could be concluded before Christmas, um, Alan Pace, a former president of Major League Soccer franchise Real Salt Lake, who heads up ALK, has been in dialogue with Burnley chairman Mike Garlick, and talks are now at an advanced stage. And um, this is after months of negotiations and an extensive due diligence process. Now, on the flip side of that, um, Egyptian entrepreneur Mohammed Syed Zain El-Kashashi and Chris Farnell, a Cheshire-based sports lawyer, have also been vying for ownership of Burnley. However, ALK appear to be in pole position to acquire Garlic's majority, 49.24% shareholding, and Johnny B's 28.2% stake in the Premier League club. Now, apparently there are still details to be ironed out, but there is quiet confidence that buyout could be completed in the coming weeks and well in advance of the January transfer window when manager Sean Dyche will be eager to strengthen his squad. Um, So let's start with you, Rich. That sounds promisingly like ALK are still the preferred bidders. Yeah, the ALK uh, does give me a lot of optimism. Obviously, it's hard to say and, and, you know, we could eat be you know eating my words and it could turn out a disaster but I just for the little bits of reading I've done and and little bits here and there you know on Twitter they, they sound quite positive and I think a big one is is that they really like Daesh and obviously they've got a sporting background in America I'd say the American ownership in in with English clubs has been quite mixed obviously Liverpool are owned by John W. Henry at the moment, who, who's been very good, but then you've had other owners, at, you know, like Swansea, who's not done well and they've ended up going down anyway. So there is always that risk to the investment. I prefer that much more to um, the Egyptian. Um, I'm not going to try and pronounce his name. I thought you you did a great job then, Natalie. <laughs> and obviously, um, <laughs> obviously Chris Farnell, who if you speak to any Charlton fan, they kind of you know, really talk badly about him. And I think when he went in there in the summer, you know, it, it might have been difficult circumstances, but they don't speak highly of him at all. So I am positive about ALK. Um, hopefully, if they get taken over in December, it gives Dice much needed funds. We're, you know, for me, we, we our, short, our squad's massively short. We, we need new players. Uh, you know, we're still good. As much as you know, you've got players like Goodmanson, who, who's fantastic, but he's not fit, Brady, Long, Dawn, lads like that, you know, the you know, the workhorses and, and the triers, but um, you know, especially Long and Dawn and, and Peters and players like that. But ultimately then, you know, we 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 need imp- improvements on those players. We need a younger squad. So and I think at the end of the day anyway, if um we don't get investment and garlic staying in charge, it'll just end up with the inevitable of us going down, whether it's this season or the next, and Dice leaving anyway. So I'm all for ALK taking over. Um, it's it's kind of not nervous times, but un, maybe a bit more uncertain times. But uh, but at the same time, if we get really exciting players in, and and yeah. you know, and it takes the club to the next level, it's massively exciting. There's no reason why we can't, you know, with Dice at the helm, get a good recruitment model. You know, there's no reason why we, you know, we we can't become a Wolves or a Leicester over time and build it where we, you know, we are, you know, we are challenging for European spots. That's the ideal scenario. Yeah, I, cu- I couldn't agree more, Rich. I really do. Um, Tom, I think I think universally everybody's more in favour of ALK, but I think there's a there's an understandable um, nervousness around the club 
coming out of local ownership because it's been in local ownership for so many years for pretty much all of its history um and to have um americans in there but the americans the ones who i think we will probably get along with more i think it's fair to say that there is I think if the ALK take over, there'll be the sadness that it's not in local ownership anymore, but an excitement about what they can do. And I think there's a be an eagerness to work with these owners as fans and and obviously build a relationship there, like uh, Leicester's owners did, you know, when they came in. Um, but if it is ending up the Egyptian consortium that we, with Fennell who take over, there is that sadness that we're out of local ownership, and there's just a pending sense of doom that everything that we hold dear to the club's going to be ripped out. Um, I think, I think in that sense, we've got. I think we can be right to get excited about an ALK takeover. Now it looks like it's happening. Yeah, I think you've got to, you've got to look at the positives. I mean, I think we've all said uh, previously. You know, it's looking like at this point, it's either going to be Dice or Garlic who lose very soon. And I think everyone would rather out of the two, we'd rather keep Dice. Um, it's going to be the best of the long term health of the club. So if you're approaching it from that kind of starting point, then you've got to be happy that. We've got an owner who can potentially, as Rich says, you know, kick us onto the next level or at least, you know, invest a bit more significantly in the playing squad. That's going to keep the manager happy. If we can keep him beyond the current contract that he's got, then that would be fantastic. So, yeah, if you look at it from that perspective, we've spent next to nothing in in, uh, in the summer transfer window. So we all know that the squad's got weak points. We all know that we need we need some fresh blood. We need some new players. So there's, and there's always excitement as a football club if you're bringing in new players. And let's be fair, in the last few years, we've very rarely been able to get excited about a big money signing. Even players that we've brought in who turned out to do well or players that have brought in with little fanfare who've gone on to be good players, they've not necessarily been signings that have really got us talking. I mean, I can think of a couple, like, for example, when we signed Andre Gray, I was that excited we'd spend that amount of money on this player. I immediately got tickets for the next game, which was Bristol City away. I wasn't planning on doing that trip, but I was that excited we spent this money on this player. And uh, the last one I can f- remember feeling like that about was Stephen Defoe when, when we signed him. I thought, oh my God, I can't believe we've got him. But signings like yeah. that have been and far between. And that's, that's part of the fun of, of being a football fan, you know, and supporting a club is getting excited about these signings. They might turn out to be crap, but it's that nice, that feeling of excitement, that feeling of I can't wait to see this guy play, I can't wait to see what he can do. And, you know, little moments like that maybe with a different owner are things that we've got to look forward to. You know, someone with a bit more flair, someone who's someone from abroad someone who's a bit different uh, you know and and, you know god knows the team at the minute could do with someone who can provide something that's a little bit different at times so yeah i think that that's probably the most positive uh, aspect of the new ownership for me is thinking about what's going to happen in january and hopefully as well thinking about what's going to happen longer term with the manager so if you look at it through that lens then yeah uh, it's not the worst thing that could happen to us definitely yeah, no, it isn't. I think Harry Wilson was was gave me that sense of excitement in the summer when it looked like that was nearly happening before it all fell over in that ridiculous scenario we were in. Um, and I think I'd forgotten how it felt to feel excited about a player coming in because we've had that many depressing transfer windows back to back that you you kind of you don't allow yourself to get excited about anything coming in um it's a shame really that the the new owner's first transfer window will be the January one um I just hope that. I just hope that Dash relaxes a little bit as well with with his transfer policy. I I don't blame. I know that there's been press reports that he has vetoed um, players. I think Borden in the summer very much reported that Dash was the one who vetoed Harry Wilson didn't want him in, um, and 
you know, I, I know he's very keen to not let the owners waste their very valuable funds on players that he just doesn't think are worth the money. Um, and whilst that's right, I think sometimes that can impact on our progression a little bit more than it should do. So I do hope that having owners with a little bit more capital behind them and some more money to afford to make mistakes, you know, mistakes don't become as catastrophic and that he relaxes himself a little bit and allows a little bit of luxury players to come in there because I think that would be really good for us. Um, Rich, the other news to, to break this week is the breaking news that's come out in the last 24 hours that we are going to see fans return to the stadium. Now, for those of you who've downloaded and listened to our interview with Alistair, um, Alistair Podcast, that's not what he's called. Alistair Campbell on our podcast last week will have heard his thoughts on this. But obviously, the lack of fans in the stadium has had a real impact on people's um, enjoyment, their social life, some people their well-being, and some people their mental health as well. If there's a lack of an escapism that they get from football, and um, communities aren't working, you know, aren't getting to spend time together, families are, are separated. Um, so I think it's it's fundamentally important that that players. Uh, players see fans back in the uh, stadiums as well for the sake of the game. Um, and an interesting point that Alistair Campbell made as well was that he he refuses to listen to crowd music um, when he's watching televised football because he doesn't want us to become accustomed to it. He doesn't want that to become the norm. He wants he wants televised football to be very uncomfortable. Um, so with that in mind, Rich, you know, you must have absolutely jumped up and down when you, you heard the news that potentially fans are going to come back in. Yeah, I think it's massively positive news. Um, I don't want to put a downer on it, but I think the likelihood of, you know, I don't know, I just don't think it'll happen. There's just something about, or, or I think with I don't want to go into that too much, but I still think that um, where we are, we'll still get put into tier three or even tier two, and, and especially tier three, and we won't be allowed to go anyway. I've just got that really bad dread that come Thursday, obviously, you know, where we live in, you know, in the Northwest, me, you know, me and you, Natalie, and I know Tom lives in Derby, that we're still going to get put in that tier three. Yeah. You know, so it's kind of like I, I wasn't jumping for joy and but at the same time it's it is obviously brilliant if they said you know Burnley you can have 4,000 fans and and everything like that and I was fortunate enough to get chosen in the ballot I'd be absolutely you know it'd be like just an unbelievable feeling to go back um I can't wait until I see the turf more packed again I don't know how long that's going to be even with 4,000 fans it'll be much better but it's, it's still but you know to see turf more packed out again and it's made me it's made you know, I've very, you know, I'm very fortunate. I've had a season ticket for, you know, pretty much all my life, and you know, I've been able to go to the games and and everything like that. And not that you take it for granted, but it just it does become the norm. And you know, you know, going to Turf Moor, and even though you get excited, but that first feeling when I'll, you know, drive up the M6 and the 65, and was because I don't live in Burnley, you know, park up near Tesco and walk down Harry Potter to the ground is going to be really special. Um, fingers, fingers crossed it. We are allowed it for it to happen. The, the the other the last point I'll make about it is, and again, this is where I'm, I'm maybe not jumping for joy just yet. Sorry, I'm being a bit negative, but um, let's say Southampton um, are in tier one and they're allowed to have four thousand. Or let let's say one of our relegation rivals in, I don't know, Fulham, they're 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 allowed four thousand. 
but then were not allowed any supporters at all. And I know you want to get fans in and, and stuff like that, but surely that doesn't make it an even playing field. I don't know. I think there's still a lot of ramifications oh, to it. I've not even thought of that. That is such a good point. Particularly the players at the bottom of the table, like us. I mean, I know a lot of people in Burnley, and in particular some of our players, have expressed the, a, a reason for, for Burnley not maybe starting as well as he would have done is that we rely so heavily on the fans at Turf Moor to just give them that 12th man and get them over the line and if like you say if we've got if you've got Sheff, well, Sheffield United they're probably the northern teams they're probably going to be in tier 3 as well but yeah if you say like Brighton for example yeah if they've suddenly allowed fans in as well that's that's not fair so, yeah just to come in as as well, I think for teams like old Sheffield United, even West Brom coming up, the less technical teams, I think it hinders us more not having the crowd to give us that backing. You know, I think like Villa maybe this season have done really well. You know, maybe they've they've not got the pressure of, uh, of, of playing in front of the crowd at Villa Park, and you know the, the you know the technical players like Grealish can get on the ball a bit more and express themselves. So I think it has made a massive impact. But yeah, it's going to be really interesting who gets put in what tier and, and if it does have an effect on it at all. Oh, man. Yeah, that's definitely made me feel worried about that. Sorry, Natalie. Sorry. I feel bad now. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not yeah, God. <laughs> Debbie Downer over there in the corner. Um, Tom, I'd, just, I'd not really thought of that, but that's a really good point, isn't it, about the fans? Would that concern you? Uh, I, think, I don't think it's going to have that much of an impact in the Premier League, to be honest, because I think... If you take, for example, Brighton or Southampton, the grounds hold about 30,000. If you've got two or 4,000 knocking about in a stadium of that size, you, you know, there's reports saying you're not allowed to have a beer, you're not allowed to shout, you're not allowed to chant. I don't think it's going to have that much impact, to be honest. It'd be nice for those fans to, to be able to go and watch them live football, but it's still not going to be anything like actually what actually going to a match was like pre-COVID. So I understand that point of view and it will be annoying, you know, that, if, if we are in the situation where we can't go to Burnley. I mean, uh, what would annoy me is if, say, if Burnley's in Tier 1 or 2 and Derby's in Tier 3 and I'm not allowed to come up, that would be irritating for me. Um, and I suppose things like that are going to have to get worked out as well. But, yeah, I think even if Brighton have got 4,000 fans, I mean, they're hardly the most passionate backers of their club anyway. When you go to Brighton, half the season ticket holders down there support Arsenal and Tottenham. So I don't think that's going to have a major impact on things, to be honest. It'll be nice for the, for the individuals to, to be watching some football, but I don't think it's going to be the difference for, you know, I don't think that's going to give uh, Tarek Lamptey and Co that extra 10% in the match. Okay, that makes me feel better. So, Rich, you just took it away from me, but, but Tom's given me back, so I'm all right. Um, <laughs> listeners, this is a really good point, and this is something that I didn't necessarily envisage debating, but I think... Tom's points are really valid ones. So let us drop us a line, let us know how you feel um, about the potential. Well, I think most people will be delighted about fans coming back in. So, um, you know, do do tell us just how much it means to you to get fans back in stadiums. But if you've got any concerns about the uneven playing field or just the impact of having some teams with fans and some not, um, drop us a line. You know how to get hold of us. It's tweet us at none and ever or email us at podcast at no never.net um tom sticking with you then next up manchester city um does he change the starting lineup does he does he do anything differently to try and finally get the one over over pep and is this a very good time to play city 
I think we've lost Tom. Oh, sorry. No, Rich, pick oh, no, we've got Tom. There we go. <laughs> Listeners, we had a panic then. We were like, hello. Where's Tom going? Temporary <laughs> That's all right. Off you go, Tom. Off no, you go. I, I think it is a good time to play City. I don't think they've been that good to start of this season. Having said that, you know, they'll probably beat us 5 0 anyway. Um, it's just, I mean, I said earlier about Hodgson having a bit of the Indian Sane, but Dice, I mean, I know obviously City have got a squad that cost 100 times what ours does, but I don't think Dice has really worked out a way to, to, pl- to play against Guardiola. I mean, you know, I, I'm not saying I expect us to go there and get anything, but it would be nice not to ship an absolute uh, load of goals every time. So if we went there and we got a 1 or 2 0 defeat, I'd probably see that as progress, but I think it's just going to be more of the same. It's just one of them things. I mean, going back years and years, we've always had a bad, a bad record against Man City. We always get a thumping off them. You know, when it was bloody Kevin Keegan in charge or whatever, we still always used to get battered. So I'm not, uh, I'm just, I've just written it off already, to be honest. I'm not that bothered. If we get anything, it'll be an absolute miracle. If we get beat, then let's just park it and just move on to the next one. Excellent. Tom, um, are you quite blase about this as well? Or uh, Sorry, Rich, even. God, I'm even getting you confused now. Um, Rich, are you equally as... Tom, Rich, whichever one of you wants to come in. Um, are you equally as, as sort of relaxed about this game? Anything's a bonus? I always have a little bit of optimism going into a game, but this is one that you look on paper and go, you know, as, as Tom said, the likelihood of us... The likelihood of us getting tanked is very, very high. You know, we just... I think the, one of the reasons we struggle at our City, maybe a bit technical, is we like to defend very narrow and keep the middle of the pitch tight. But City's probably the best team in the world in actually, you know, make, making the pitch look big, spreading the play, getting the fault, getting the fullbacks forward. De Bruyne likes getting into those wide positions too and getting the balls into the box. But at the same time, they're not quite at their best. I actually see it as a bit, you know, maybe call me negative. You know, we've 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 had a bit of a you know discussion about wingers and etc. I wouldn't actually mind seeing Peters playing in, instead of Goodmanson, just to just to give him a bit of a break. You know, you, you don't you know you want to save Goodmanson, you know, for Everton at home the next weekend. I wouldn't be too adverse to that. Um, you know, anyway, yeah, we'll see. It's going to be difficult. I wouldn't even, yeah, like Tom said, if we if we keep it down to one and two, because you never know goal difference could come down to it at the end of the season for you know for relegation it could be that tight so yeah it's just a shame after we've had a win that we've not got you know a decent game to follow it but it is what it is everyone's got to play City away once but yeah not confident at all but at the same time you have that little bit of hope and if you go one nil up you never know you might be able to cling on to something yeah, I think both, haven't they? Both fair things. Um, I am quite excited about actually playing City at a time when they are the most vulnerable and things aren't quite going as well for them as they usually do. Um, this is a tough season and we're going to start to see the the grit and determination that, that Pep has got and what he can instill in his players. But I think the, the, the thing that worries me about that is that Daesh always seems to crumble against City. You know, even when we're playing really, really well and we're, we're flowing with confidence, he just, Pep just gets in his head and he seems to struggle with them. So, um, I'd be interested. I genuinely wouldn't be surprised if we got a draw at the weekend. I really, I really wouldn't. I think it would be um, just wonderfully stubborn of us to get one. So let's see what happens. Um, I think that's all we've got time for this week. It's a relatively. Um, oh, actually, no. There is one quick point before I go. Actually, I'm going to put this to you, Rich, because I think you will you will quite like this. Obviously, I think it's fair to say that Turf Moor has been in the news quite a bit the last week. Now, I am not a reality show fan by any stretch of the imagination. I don't watch 
any of the jungle strictly anything like that but of course jordan north who listeners will know came in our podcast just three weeks ago was it now to do a one-off special for him um and i'm pleased to say as well didn't mention a single word that he was going into the jungle um have you been following it rich is it quite nice seeing burnley thrust into the spotlight to the extent it has i have watched i've not watched the last couple of episodes it's hard work watching it every single night especially when, if you've got other stuff that you, you want to watch um i've been watching the darts the last couple of nights and obviously we're burnley playing last night but i think it's i think it's great to see him on and um I think once we knew he was in the jungle, you know there'd be some reference. And obviously when he did the trial and it was happy place, happy place, turf, more, it absolutely just blew up Twitter. What made me laugh was obviously people who had no idea what it what it was and spelt more like M-O-R-E. That gave me a little bit of a... That tickled me oh, a little bit. But <laughs> I think it's kind of... There has been a little negative negative stuff with Burnley in the media, which I don't want to go into. But, you know, I think it's really nice to see Burnley presented in a positive light. And I think that represents the and I think Jordan represents the very high majority of Burnley fans just very lovable very kind very caring uh, but a little bit daft at the same time that is that is so true and it, it is it's I, I saw I don't know if you were watching Tom at the end of the game when uh, Carragher got Jay on um, made him do the interview and he made, he made him do the happy place happy place turf more thing and it does they just Jordan North just reminds me of Jay I think it is true it's just it's just us isn't it he just he definitely represents Burnley folk I like um, having people like him who are, it's not just like this thing of, oh, yeah, I support this team and you just kind of say it to look cool yeah. or whatever, you know. Uh, it's like he's a proper fan. Like, I see him a lot of away games and things like that. And, uh, he's you know, he's really obviously, it's not just like saying it, it's not just a token mention. He really obviously is passionate about the club. And, uh, you know, having people on telly who are passionate about the club, that can only reflect well on us. So, uh, although I'm the same as you, I don't watch it myself. I don't have any interest in it, but... Uh, I wish him the very best of luck on the letter. We, me do too, and I, I'm, I'm loving as well. A quick shout out to we, we do give them a hard time sometimes, but I think Burnley's media and, and commercial side have um, jumped on this and have just put out some incredibly funny content to back him up. Um, I, I just think that they've done really well, and, and maybe something that we wouldn't necessarily have been uh, slick enough as as it was happening in previous times. So well done, Burnley's uh, social media side and their commercial team. I think. There are some um, Jordan North Happy Place T-shirts being sold from the um, uh, clubhouse as well. Clubhouse, I still call it clubhouse. It's not clubhouse, it's club shop, isn't it? Um, for I think they're all going to charity as well, which has just reminded me. I keep saying that's all we've got time for, and I keep remembering another point. Listeners, bear with me one second while I just open up my notes from producer Matt, who sends me notes every week of things that I'm not allowed to forget. And I'm sure I've already forgotten that there was something that I was supposed to plug in the podcast this is, is it the calendar this is, th- it is the calendar yeah. well done yes you are quite right this is this is thrilling content for our listeners hang on <laughs> i've got it here um uh, mention vintage calendar right producer matt that's not that useful <laughs> mention a vintage calendar right apparently uh, I think if you head, I think this is the way I'm going to do it. Listeners, head to our Twitter page, and if you scroll down a few tweets, there will be a promotion running where one of uh, long-term Burnley fans, if I remember rightly now, has produced for Christmas a 2021 calendar featuring some action shots from Turf Moor from the 90s. I think that's right. It's like a nostalgic 
uh, vintage calendar and all of the proceeds are going to charity. If you check out our social media channels, then you will get more details. And in readiness for the next time, I have to plug something on the podcast. Producer Matt's going to have to give me more information than that. Um, That is all. Oh, Tom, sorry, go on. Tom, jumping in. Well, I don't know. Uh, I saw a li- there's a little video on it. I think it was on the Turf More content that was on the uh, on the official uh, club site. But there's also a little video on YouTube. It's a 1991 uh, charity calendar, and it's raising funds for the Gary Parkinson Trust. And the photographer's Excellent. called Clive Lawrence. You can see him being interviewed with John Deary on the uh, on the Burnley YouTube. So yeah, worth a watch. I had a little watch and. Uh, Probably sort of thing my dad would like, so it's a good idea for, for Christmas as well. Same, yeah. And he doesn't listen to this, or you won't find out. Yeah, well, my dad doesn't listen either, so yeah, excellent time. I'm going to get my dad one as well. Um, there you go, listeners. When all else fails, surround yourself with a support team like Rich and Tom, who will jump in, swoop in, in fact, and rescue you when you fall foul of producer Matt's inferior notes. <laughs> That is now definitely all we have time for this week. I'm not going to add anything else in here. So as ever, my thanks firstly go to Rich and Tom for joining me this week and giving them their time to analyse a fantastic win, um, the first one of the season for the Clarence against Palace. To producer Matt for producing and editing this, and we forgive him for show notes because he does a sterling job of getting all of this together and published. To Pand Joyce for producing our music. Um, and uh, I don't think we had any special guests. No, nope, we don't have any special guests this week to thank. So finally, our thanks to you, the listeners, for downloading and listening to this podcast. Your support is very much appreciated, and we would not be here without you. Um, Dave and I will be back for the preview show on Friday, looking ahead to our away trip to City this weekend, and the rest of the team will be back on Tuesday. What? analyzing what we hope will be the second win of the season um take care in the meantime i hope you're all staying safe and well i hope that the government's announcement at the the weekend isn't bad news for, for lancashire and we stay out of tier three but either way take care of yourselves if anybody is struggling if anybody is alone or just generally feeling down about what has been a horrible 2020 reach out to none and ever team our our uh, twitter is always open we will happily engage with you and talk all things claret or anything else that will make you feel a little bit better um take care in the meantime and we will see you next week this has been the known and ever podcast i've been natalie bromley until next week Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.